Hey, it's B. Back from square one. Regulated. Life is still upside down. And as I've been experimenting through conventional and unconventional mental health, I'm reporting back. This time with good news. Ready to rock, drop, and roll. <laughs> so don't get burnt. The divorce, the jail, the affairs, and my attempt to swing, I mean sing. Our lives will always be on fire. So why not raise the real rays and break the matrix? Maybe this is how it starts. As we unfuck ourselves, let's find a way out. They don't care about you. So stop giving a fuck about them. The content of this podcast is for general purposes only, and it's not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition or disease or substitute for medical advice. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or any other qualified medical health provider with any questions you may have regarding your medical condition or treatment before starting or discontinuing treatment. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts or a crisis, please reach out immediately to the Suicide Prevention Line at 800-273-8255. Good evening, Lincoln. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for being part of this podcast. Maybe this is how it starts. So tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? I'm, uh, you know, having gone through PhDs and certifications and becoming all the more adversarial with teachers as I went. I think what that did for me is it, it, it made me want to find grounding. So then I went to graduate school in physics because I was still sort of looking for the truth. And I was still insecure and felt that I needed to establish myself. Did you find it? Mm, not until now. Okay. Now I think I, I am, but I'm, but, I'm very broad, right? So I've got this physics degree and psychology degrees and, and a hypnotherapy degree certification and um, a decade of experience in brain science and brain training. But I was also, uh, you know, I was the good part of rebellious, which is to say active. I was an active in educating myself and I was most active. And this is, I wrote three books on this in finding people who inspired me and who would mentor me. And I found, you know, probably a dozen of such people all over the world. And it's very important to realize that to be mentored doesn't mean you're being taught. It's not teaching. It's being encouraged and having resources provided. So um, some of my greatest mentors only spent a few hours with me. And that was enough. You know, it's like being in the room of the Dalai Lama. You don't need to follow up go camping you know it's you get it yeah and it's inspiring and it carries you you know can carry you through the rest of your life with the right people so i think those people were very important and from that i also understood that most of us spend 98 percent of our time with people who don't support us i don't know maybe other people get more support or you are not as adversarial or rebellious as i was but I found it interesting to be in the presence of people who were odd or different or had something special, and often they were incompatible with me. And whereas most people would flee, I was tenacious, and I would stay there, to, to my embarrassment sometimes. You know, I'd get really, you know, it's Groucho Marx has the funny line that he would never belong to a club that would admit him as a member. And in my case, 
I've never belonged to a club that didn't throw me out as a member. Um, yeah, I've been in flying clubs and scuba clubs and mountaineering groups and uh, psychology groups and academics, and they basically thrown me out of everyone. And the reason is because I just keep asking questions and I'm just not satisfied with um, half answers. And, you know, everything is a half answer. There are no full answers to anything. So you have to kind of learn to move forward with that. We have on our own interpretation of the truth, I think. That's what we carry. I, I find that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, in, in the way you categorize things, I sometimes find that, or it's been my experience, that sometimes we're searching for an answer, we're searching for something that we need, a piece of information. And we search so much and we seek out to these experts that don't know enough to guide us in the way we need to, that we become the experts. We actually overdo that expertise that they have. And suddenly you find yourself knowing more than what you needed because no one else was able to help you find that. And I've, I've dealt with that all my life. Well, I don't know about the more than you needed part. I think it's easy to know more about what you want. Um, I find that in every area where I'm interested, I run up to the edge of all like all that I can know. Well, not all that I can know, all that I'm able to find out right now. So I've got a bunch of projects. All of them are like, you know, cutting edge boundary knowledge things. And I have no idea if they're entirely the right direction. I mean, some of them I think really are, but it's hard to know what to do with them exactly. So like in, in physics, I feel like I've got some good ideas, but how do you state it? Y you know, you can look at what's done and you see what's wrong and everybody will admit it's wrong and that something else is needed and you have an idea, but it's outside the context of anything that exists. So what do you do? You just, I think to answer my own question, you have to be patient, tolerant, and um, determined. But I recognize that in, as I say, having been thrown out of every group I was involved in, I recognize that the groups, you know, no group is, exists for your benefit. Every group exists for its own self-perpetuation and the support of its members. And if you're not sort of in the mainstream, uh, the group is not going to go out of its way just for you. I mean, that's why we have small groups of just friends and family because they're more focused on us. But in a professional group of an institution or a corporation, you're either one of the team or you're off the team. And that's not good for creative thinkers. And it's not good for people who are trying to solve their own personal problems. Absolutely. So tell me, um, you're a therapist, and I know you, based on, on the background I've read a little bit of from you, is what, what types of modalities are you engaged with? In my case, I'm sort of highly individual, and my goal is always to find the individuals inside a person. Often I get, you know, smart people. I don't know what you want to call them smart. Verbal people. Verbal. That's, that's kind of a common definition of smart. A lot of my clients are verbal. They can express themselves. And verbal people tend to get attached to their own story. 
their story is well crafted even if it's not entirely true they've got uh the points they want to identify with and they present you and they play the role very well and i'm always trying to get people to see their other roles and often people's problems arise from the conflicts of these roles the obligations and expectations and the uh inadequacy inadequacies of them you know they're not getting all they need from whatever role they're playing and i talk a fair amount especially to verbal people but i try to get people out of talking and into one of the various other modes which are emotional so you can understand that speaking emotionally doesn't always mean reasonably or rationally or intellectually or such or spiritually which is not exactly the same as emotionally it's more about you know life purpose and meaning and self-worth and uh physically in terms of their bodies and that's a kind of stretch often for uh therapist who mostly talks so i use trance and hypnosis hypnosis is basically focusing on one aspect of experience the exclusion of others so you can go into a trance state and relive a physical experience or an emotional experience or uh, any memory at all and it can become dominant and you can express what i would say is your that part of your personality that is triggered by that memory or sensation or feeling i'm trying to get people into a state of you might say chaos you know to engage their their feelings of uncertainty and ambivalence and to express those and i guess that's the point that's really the point be, behind a practitioner or a therapist um, is to really formulate and come up with their own style. And that's what's going to work for your clientele. Um, that's at least what has worked for me in the past is working with somebody who's confident enough to mix all of the approaches together. And I think I that's think so. ultimately My experience the with practitioners practitioner. is they're not very competent. I don't know why. You know why I think it might be? Is that most practitioners are there for their own self, their own need, their own questions. They're drawn to psychology because some unanswered thing and psychology offers answers for these things and they think they're going to find it. And they tend to be focused on the particular thing that they're involved with. I think, I think if we were to speak of a universal therapy method, I think it would be more of a group therapy where you would go to these sessions or self-improvement or um, self-guided um enrichment trainings that we would take. I think that would be more of a universal um, approach to therapy versus having every single person come into session because not everybody feels like they have a problem. Okay. I appreciate what you say. And I've been to many group sessions, group groups, events, and they're of a very different texture than an individual one. Um, 
I agree that not everybody wants individual attention, but that's their preconception. I, I would say that everyone actually does want individual attention, and they spend almost all their lives giving themselves their individual attention. But what they don't want is to be misunderstood, misused, or confused, distracted, or have their time wasted. And when they go to your average therapist, that's exactly what they feel. So that most average therapy is largely a waste of time for many people. And, uh, yeah, okay. And so, but here we are. So it's not for the people I work with. And when I work with people, I quickly succeed or fail to get them involved in working with me at an honest and deep level. And I'm, you know, I'd say I'm I'm even more puzzled by the people with whom I fail because they are the people who I did not connect with or who would not be honest in my opinion and didn't want to deal with that. And they are, you know, the failures are more interesting than the successes. I tell you, I go to my successes and I say, what did I do? And they just said, oh, you were very smart. You were very helpful. And I, this doesn't really help me. I was just doing whatever. You know, I'm just, <laughs> they don't give you a strike. I don't you know, whatever. Okay, so that's great. But the ones who didn't work are the real puzzles, you know, the puzzles you couldn't figure out. And they're often very simple people with very simple problems. And they're very, in my opinion, dishonest. And maybe that's the answer. Maybe they just were looking for something that uh, I was not going to give them. Or they were just not ready to connect. Well, you know, in both cases, they're just two people. They were in denial, right? They wanted to do one thing. The world was against them. They wanted to know how to manage their world, to wrangle the world around. And I told them, it's not going to happen. You know, no one's going to go along with your program. It is what it is. So I have read, um, I didn't read a lot, but I read a couple of pieces or one piece to say the, the least of your work. Um, I know you have publications. You have, I believe, articles that you publish along with the work that you lead. Um, I know that you also lead some kind of um, psychedelic coaching, I believe. Well, I'm getting there, but it's not legal, so we have to tiptoe around it. But it's related because, I mean, I should say that psychedelics are a way to get out of your normal state of mind, which is what I want people to do because their normal state of mind usually is the source of their problem or at least a big impediment to their solution. And psychedelics will throw you out of normal. And that can be an opportunity. What is the difference between going through a psychedelic session and going through hypnosis? What is, what is the difference in, in achievement? The simplest answer is not much. There's not much difference. Okay. But the more accurate answer is there are many different kinds of psychedelic experiences and there are many different kinds of hypnotic experiences. And you could focus them on the same thing or not. Um, The people who I think are the most adept at psychedelic experiences don't really need the psychedelics anymore. Because once... You know, the psychedelics are effective because they're mimicking chemicals that are in your brain anyway. Otherwise, they wouldn't interact with you. So they're, you know, triggering things that have receptors on your nerve sites, which are normally triggered in other ways. And it seems that with enough experience, 
you can go there without them. You can recreate those experiences through meditation or through trance or through hypnosis so that people who are very familiar with psychedelics, they don't need so much anymore. They don't need so much quantity, dosage, uh, which is funny because now the potency of these things is even is growing stronger. And they're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, I think it's, it's going to be a big mess. You've got pharmaceutical companies producing strong chemicals given to psychologists who have no idea what they're doing. Clients who are interested and um, the people who have experience, which is the underground, because they've been taking these things for 50 years or okay. 5,000, mm -hmm. depending which underground you're looking at. Those people are being dismissed because they're not part of the industry or government or healthcare system. And so it's all a kind of a circus. Some people are listening to others and some people are making a big voice and other people are trying to sell products. And, you know, the, the psychedelics are powerful and they're not particularly dangerous uh, within certain safe realms. Um, unlike uh, opiates, which will kill you, most psychedelics would just sort of get you so confused you don't know what's going on. Um, they're not toxic. But that being said, that doesn't mean they're helpful either in all cases. So, but let me answer your question. So hypnosis is a form of focused trance, which is like a psychedelic. It can be like a psychedelic experience. Um, and uh, I like doing that. But it costs money and it's not as popular. So I don't do it often. Why would someone seek the assistance of someone to guide this experience? Well, there is no this experience. There are many possible experiences. So um, basically the psychedelic experience is divided into three parts, the before, the during, and the after. And the before is like preparation and focus and um, affirmations and resolutions. And the during is who knows what. There are many ways you could talk about the during. Um, but the way it's talked about right now is hands off nothing. Pipe in music and put eye shades on them. But that's not the traditional way of doing it, but that's what therapists are doing because they don't know any better. And then the after phase. Eyeshades? Yeah, eye shades, you know. Yeah. It's just, Why? I don't know. It's because, I don't, I don't know, it's all bullshit. Um, uh, mostly because <laughs> you're sensitive and bright lights and okay. confusing sounds are distracting. But mostly it's, I think, just covering their ass so that you're sedate and you don't do anything that, because when you're in trance, you don't really communicate well and they don't understand you. So they'd rather you just didn't move or say anything. Then they're safe. And there's got to be two people sitting there, both being paid $100 an hour. So before you know it, the whole thing's unaffordable. <laughs> and it's not going to happen at that rate. So then you can have, you can have like a... Everybody comes in with a different dollar amount. Oh, that's true. Some people can drop that at drop of hat. But, and so then what are they going to do? They're going to have a room full of people and then it's going to go to hell. So then there's the after phase, which is right now being interpreted as just more of the same, more psychotherapy, back to thought therapy, you know, 
now that we've you know blown up your blocks now we'll get back to our old methods and that's not going to work because you know it didn't work before it's not going to work after the after phase of a psychedelic experience truly is a long experience a long period of integrating yourself and you can get somebody who comes in and tries to facilitate right takes notes and stuff but in most of my experiences it's a long personal journey it's like a religious journey you know you have an epiphany and then you have to put it together and it involves if it's effective changing your life which means changing your friends and changing your family and changing your profession changing your future changing your identity i mean this is what change means otherwise it's superficial so it's not going to happen in an hour or two in spite of what anyone advertises so why should yeah. you get someone to help well you know just to clarify your expectations, that would help, I think. Um, and to give you a sort of touchstone. Yeah, I think just like in any other art, and I'm going to say that to be yeah. generic, is having the assistance of someone when we're in doubt, it does help. Yeah. And I, I don't say this because I've had a coach uh, while conducing on psychedelics, but it's more of obtaining a coach in areas that I feel that I would benefit the most. So I agree with that. Um, have you worked with plant medicine? I mean, I've done it in the under, underground, right? You know, so um, that's different. I see that reflected in, in some of the writings you've had. And so I want you to tell me a little bit more about your writings and how can um, just a general audience get uh, engaged with what you write and what you lead and your websites. Well, I write two things, a blog, which is weekly, and books, which come out yearly, basically. And it's interesting because I'm now putting together a compilation of blog posts into a book form. And that's kind of, and I did it because I felt there were a lot of good ideas that were just going to get lost if they weren't, you know, stamped out into a publication that will sit forever on some Amazon website. Uh, and then people ask me, you know, what can I read of yours that's helpful? And I can direct them to like this list of 250 blog posts, which they'll just get lost in. Or I can direct them to a half a dozen books or a dozen books, which seems much more. Um, the website is mindstrengthbalance.com. And basically it has pages for the different things I do. One is medical hypnotherapy which we haven't talked about, but is a branch of psychotherapy, really. Uh, because a lot of, well, all medical conditions have a mental component because your body is attached to your mind. And usually every healing experience has a mental component because you have to support yourself and you have to retain your sense of confidence and sense of progress. And some medical conditions are largely psychological, mostly nervous ones. Um, nervous, dysregulatory, digestive, uh, anxiety-related depression can cause a lot of uh, chronic physical issues. And then you, you take that to a doctor and they'll deal with one half, but it's usually not enough because it's not the source of the problem. So another tab is uh, therapy. And we've kind of already talked about that a little bit. Another area is dreams or sleep, dreams and sleep. So I find that really important 
because it's a, like a, if emotions are one way to think and intellect is another, then dreams are a third. And they're very different. And most people don't approach them correctly. Most people approach dreams as if it's another language that you have to figure out. A bunch of symbols with a story and a lesson. And I say it's exactly the opposite. Dreams are chaos. They're all the things you can't figure out, put together in one basket. And then I think the fourth area that I want to mention is learning. It's all learning. I'm against intervention of the kind of uh, something will fix you up sort. There's a strong learning component to everything. And if you learn without having a crisis or a disaster, you'll probably learn more appropriately than if you have to be hyper-focused on dealing with a crisis. So learning, I think learning has to be part of the ongoing solution. It's like, how do you avoid getting into a crisis? You look at your life, you look at the issues that are calling you, you look at the feelings that your dreams are bringing up, the conflicts that are unresolved, and you try to get ahead of the game. Well, thank you so much, Lincoln. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Sure. Thank you. That's it, folks. Maybe this is how it starts for you, I, and anyone else in our journey. Hope you like this content. Please follow, download, and share. Thanks for listening. See you next time.